Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today, it's all about creatine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 60 of the Eat Right Nutrition podcast. Today's topic is the highly sought after supplement creatine, which is the most scientifically studied ergogenic aid. What are ergogenic aids? Ergo comes from the word work and gen means generation. So supplements that help you to generate more work and creatine is certainly a supplement that does so. And it's backed by decades upon decades of research that shows its efficacy and both its safety. I, you know, safety and efficacy, I think it's important to highlight that, Nicole, because there are still some concerns lingering around about the safety of creatine, who can mm -hmm. take it, what the effects are on the body. And we'll definitely dive into some of that as well as what exactly creatine is, how it works on the body. We'll talk a little bit about the metabolic processes and how creatine ties in there, what some of the benefits are, who would take creatine. Uh, we're also going to dive into some of the different types of creatine and what you should look out for when buying creatine. Uh, and we're also going to talk about creatine loading and cycling. Should you load? Should you cycle? Some potential side effects to be looking out for. Nothing major in that area. And then creatine for teens and adolescents, as well as some of the newer research on creatine, which is now emerging, which is creatine for brain function. Ooh, we got a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about. So Nicole, let's dive right into it. Let's talk about creatine. Creatine's chemical structure is methylguanidine acetic acid. It's a combination of three different amino acids, arginine, glycine, and methionine. And your body does have the ability to manufacture creatine, and it does so to help you to produce extra work for one of your primary energy pathways, which is known as your phosphagen system or sometimes known as your phosphocreatine system. 95% of creatine in your body is stored in muscles, which is why it's so effective at boosting exercise performance because your muscles get lots of creatine stored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nicole, you mentioned that you had taken some creatine previously yeah, in your dancer. dance career, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little bit about that. I took creatine in my dance career. <laughs> I, cool <story>. only, <laughs> I talk about it a lot with clients just simply because a lot of people don't think that females should be taking creatine or question whether it's okay for females to take creatine. And I was I've taken it. Um, I don't know. I can't remember how old I was. I was in my teens for sure, maybe 16 to 18. And then I never I didn't use it after that until I started doing like bikini and bikini type shows later on in life. And did you find that creatine helps you with your dance performance? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, jumping, turning, leaping, you know, all those type of uh, powerful movements that you do in dance for sure. I think that there's some type of like a broad generalization that 
creatine in women is oh well it's a steroid and people are gonna i'm gonna bulk up and look like a man when in actuality it's just a combination of three amino acids now to highlight that a little bit amino acids are things that they're they're the byproduct of the proteins that we eat right Mm -hmm. we eat proteins they break down into amino acids and then they get used for various different functions hormone production they get used for Uh, building lean muscle tissue. They get used for your skin, your hair, your nails, your genetic code, your DNA that, you know, the messages that your body sends, that's all protein or that is all, you know, it's made up of amino acids. So it's something that is naturally occurring in the diet. And it's something that is naturally occurring in your body. Your body makes it out of the foods that you eat. Now, Mm -hmm. I do want to highlight that it is naturally occurring in the diet. But what we do find is that for our Vegans and vegetarians stores of creatine tend to be lower because creatine is found in abundance in meat and fish or just animal products in general. The vegans and vegetarians, they're not necessarily deficient because we don't have like kind of a quote standard of like a what, level. The, what the RDA is or what the level should be for creatine. We just know that there is less creatine present in the body of a vegan or vegetarian versus somebody who is a, a meat eater. Mm-hmm. that might affect you in some ways. Like for me personally, I would recommend for vegans and vegetarians, especially if you're strength training or weightlifting to right. do some supplementation with creatine. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So let's dive into Nicole, some of the benefits of creatine, and then we'll go into how creatine is actually working in the body, because I think it's super cool that we've got such a large amount of research on it to the down to the mechanism, which we don't see often with right. a lot of supplements, right? There are certain things like uh, I'll use beta alanine as an example. Beta alanine is a supplement that we we know it works. We know it helps increase uh, muscular endurance. We don't necessarily entirely know how that works. We know some things about it and even some of the side effects, right? Like that tingly feeling that you get mm-hmm. from beta alanine. We have uh, some a hypothesis on G coupled protein receptors. And those are pain receptors. And, you know, we kind of think, okay, well, we, we kind of know that we think we know, but we don't exactly know the mechanisms, but with creatine, it's unique in that we've dived into this research a lot for a very long time. So we know a lot about this supplement. Yes. And it's been measured and tested in performance response or goals. Yeah. And and we've seen performance outcomes. So creatine has been shown in research to increase performance during high intensity, short duration exercise bouts, such as weightlifting or sprinting, which lasts about 30 seconds or less and demands a high amount of energy output. So people who would be interested in taking creatine are going to be sprinters, weightlifters, Olympic lifters, power lifters, any really anybody that's going to the gym on a day to day basis and lifting weights mm-hmm. would benefit from creatine, both on a performance standpoint and increasing strength, but also increasing muscle volume. So if you're looking to put on some lean muscle tissue, creatine mm-hmm. is shown to be effective in doing that. Now, who's creatine not going to be effective for Creatine's not really going to be effective for the individual that's a marathon runner. And there's a reason for that. So let me dive into a little bit of the energy systems and how that whole process works. So in your body, you've got three primary energy systems. You've got anaerobic glycolysis, which is fueled by carbohydrates. You've got your oxidative pathway, which is oxidizing fats for energy. And then you have 
your phosphagen pathway, also known as your phosphocreatine pathway, which this is where creatine comes in in your phosphagen system. The anaerobic system is so it kind of goes in tiers in terms of length of time and intensity, right? So mm-hmm. if you are intensely working out for a short period of time, this is where your phosphagen system is going to kick in and your body's going to use creatine in that process. And then you get into slightly longer durations where you're going to be using glycolysis and breaking down and utilizing carbohydrates primarily, right? You're always in all of these energy systems, but it's which one are you primarily using? And then you get into your oxidative pathway, which this is where a marathon runner, although they do use carbohydrates, right? Because we have that term kind of hitting a wall with Mm -hmm. marathon runners where they completely deplete their glycogen. This is why marathon runners, you know, usually will keep gel packs and fast digesting, fast absorbing carbohydrates because they don't want to hit that wall. They want to kind of refuel that energy pathway. But the predominating energy pathway is oxidative phosphorylation versus your your phosphagen pathway or your phosphocreatine system, uh, which isn't really being used as a marathon runner. So if you're a marathon runner and there have been some people that have hypothesized, hey, maybe we can use it for endurance athletes, but the, the, the data doesn't really show any positive effects on uh, these types of sports. So really just people who are lifting weights or sprinting or things of that sort. All right. So let me dive into what happens when you ingest creatine. So when you consume creatine, it binds to phosphate and it is stored in your muscles and in your brain as creatine phosphate. This is the form that your body's using. When you use energy, energy is in the form of ATP. It's adenosine triphosphate. So it's an adenosine molecule bound to three phosphate molecules. Now, when you break apart adenosine triphosphate, you take off a phosphate and that releases energy. So think of adenosine triphosphate as your body's currency for energy. The more of it you have, or the more you can regenerate, the more energy you have for producing work throughout your workout. So ATP will break down into adenosine diphosphate, which is adenosine plus two phosphates. And then at some point, you're going to need another phosphate to be donated to adenosine diphosphate to recycle and create adenosine triphosphate, which is like we said, your body's currency for energy. With that being said, where creatine phosphate comes in, because creatine is bound to a phosphate in your cells, it's able to donate that phosphate to adenosine diphosphate to regenerate more energy more quickly. So the more creatine phosphate you have in a muscle, the more energy you're going to be able to produce during the given workout. Right. And then that cycle just continues. And that cycle continues. And there is a cap to how much creatine you can store to reach full muscle saturation. But what we find is that dietary wise, like it's that's not enough. Like if you supplement Mm -hmm. and this is where I get into more is better when it comes to creatine, obviously, to a certain extent, like you can't be supplementing with 20 grams of creatine a day endlessly and expect a greater benefit than Mm -hmm. five grams of creatine a day. It's not what the research is showing. Obviously, with everything, there's a limit. In general, more is better when it comes to this. It's interesting because, Nicole, we've talked about this with L-carnitine and how people would hypothesize that L-carnitine, like more is better with that. And yeah, more fat burn, right? More fat burn, because when you break down fatty acids, they have to bind. The end product has to bind to L-carnitine to as known as the carnitine shuttle to shuttle that fatty acid into the mitochondria to be used for energy. So the thought process with L-carnitine was, okay, well, more must be better, right? 
if I'm consuming more L-carnitine, that means more carnitine is going to bind to fatty acids and that's going to shuttle more fatty acids and I'm going to be more thermogenic and I'm going to break down more fat and I'm going to burn more fat. And this is a product, L-carnitine, that has been pushed hard by supplement companies for increasing thermogenesis or burning fat. But in reality, you don't actually see that in the research. You don't see that more is better. You actually see that more basically does nothing. I was going to say, you don't really see it when you use it either, but (laughs) no, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. And this is where creatine is different because in the case for creatine, creatine actually shows in research that more is better. You have more strength output, more power output, and we test these things. So basically more creatine stored in your muscles equals more energy for your muscles to use. Now we see this in research with sprinting tests. We see Mm -hmm. increased performance there. We see increased performance with one rep max. So if you're trying to increase your one rep max or even your three rep max or your five rep max, creatine is something that you might want to consider because it's shown to really work in pushing energy into your system for these specific activities. And we've we've seen some repeated sprinting tests that show as high as a 6.6% increase in mid-thigh muscle volume in creatine versus a placebo. It's interesting, like with creatine, with a lot of supplements, right? They're fairly easy to study over shorter periods of time, mm-hmm. more so than like foods and dietary protocols, because yeah. dietary protocols, it's like, oh, well, what are the long-term effects? Are there mm-hmm. adverse effects long-term? Is a ketogenic diet going to work in a four-week period or a 12-week period or a six-month period, right? Like that's a little bit more difficult to test. But with creatine, we just say, okay, well, we're going to have a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. We're going to have one group taking creatine. We're going to have one group uh, taking the placebo and we're going to assess and we're going to see who improves and, you know, we're, it's going to be blind. So we're not going to know who's taking what until the end of the study. And then we gather all the data and we say, Hey, creatine has worked. And in this case, 6.6 increase in mid thigh muscle volume. That's a pretty significant amount. I also think that's why, aside from the fact that the research on how it's utilized in the body, we have proof that the performance is enhanced. Yeah. So we know that this stuff works. And, you know, we'll get into amounts and stuff and how much Mm -hmm. to take and loading versus not. Generally speaking, the data supports that five grams per day over a course of 30 days, you're going to reach full muscle saturation. And I guess I'll just jump into this. Then there's the uh, loading, right, where there is some research to support where if you do 20 grams of creatine for between five and seven days, you'll reach full saturation quicker but you will reach, it's not like you're not going to reach full saturation taking five grams a day over the course of 30 days. So Nicole, this is where you and I kind of differ where I'm like, all right, well, you know what? More is better for that first five to seven days because I'm going to reach it quicker. I know we're going to get into whole the digestive issue that sometimes can happen, but I just feel like you're, you will get there in 30 days. I mean, I feel like every guy will be like, I'd rather get there faster. So I I get, I get the, the idea of wanting to get there quickly, but you'll get there anyway. (laughs) So I just feel like in general, everybody wants to get there faster, right? How many times do clients come to you and they're like, Hey, like I want these results and I want them now. And you're like, well, you've been waiting 10 years for these results and still haven't gotten them. What's like an extra six months or a year. But I think with this, because, and there's like, I was just at vitamin shop the other day and I was looking at some of the creatine. When you look at the instructions, like I always say to clients, if you, whatever you're going to take, follow the instructions on the back, like, don't go rogue. Um, and so there are creatines that are sold that that use the preload as the instruction. So I'm like, if that's what it says, then just take it and go for it. 
But just be aware your stomach might be upset for that first five to seven days. If you want to avoid that, then I say just do the 30 day, like just get started using it. I mean, it depends on the person. Yeah. And well, let's get into that. But first, I want to dive into the different types of creatine, which we've got a bunch and I don't even have them all listed here. But we're going to start with creatine monohydrate, which is what predominates in the research. Yeah. Right? So creatine monohydrate is the one most commonly used in studies and it's shown to work and be effective. And there are some other claims on different various different types of creatine that they might be superior. I haven't found any substantial evidence to show that one type of creatine is better than another. And here's the thing with this. I'm typically the person that says you get what you pay for. (laughs) But with creatine, what they seem to do is they jack up the price tag and say it's superior when there's no data to support that. So well, it's because it's the opposite, right? The $20 tub of creatine that we know works in research. Now they're like, well, we don't want to tell people that that's the one because it's only 20 bucks. We'll tell them it's the epic one that they spend $80 on. Yeah, they're always trying to make money. Yeah, of course. So the creatine's dirt cheap. $20, you get about 100 servings and yeah. you're good to go. You got a 100-day supply. Mm-hmm. The other forms of creatine are, you've got creatine phosphate, which is believed to be more readily absorbed or more bioavailable because creatine has to bind to creatine phosphate in order to be stored and used for energy. There's not really much research that supports that it's listen, it's going to bind to the uh, the phosphate in your body and it's going to deliver the same effect or the same outcome that you're looking for anyway. Then we have creatine citrate, which is produced by binding creatine to a citric acid molecule. And this has been believed to create greater muscle energy. Although some studies show that due to the acidity of citric acid, you're actually ending up with more creatinine, which is more waste than usable creatine. And this is actually, and I'll highlight this now, and we'll kind of talk about it a little bit later. This is actually where that theory comes from with creatine and your kidneys, not theory or the hypothesis that, hey, creatine might be damaging to your kidneys. So we know that when you mix creatine with an acid, you end up with more creatinine and it's more waste products. So you're kind of wasting your creatine, right? But what's thought is because creatinine is a biomarker for basically kidney health, for how your kidney is functioning. And if you're Kidney in general is if you have some kind of like renal disease and your kidney is creating more creatinine, then that's looked at as a bad thing. So the thought was, okay, well, if creatine, if a waste product of creatine is creatinine, then that must be bad for your kidneys. Not true. If you're a healthy individual and you're taking creatine, it's shown to not have any adverse effects on your kidneys. If you are in some stage of kidney disease, then that's where you're going to maybe want to consider not taking creatine. But for your everyday healthy individual, you're perfectly fine taking creatine. It's it's kind of like, well, you know, one of those things like, hey, like we hypothesize this because X, Y, and Z clinically, but it doesn't really apply to healthy individuals. Creatinine levels really only apply to individuals that have compromised kidneys. Then we have uh, creatine malate which binds creatine to malic acid. Some hypothesize that malate is needed for creation of energy. Again, we don't really see a uh, benefit that's greater than taking creatine monohydrate. Then we have creatine pyruvate, which is thought to have greater benefit by increasing endurance as well as intensity uh, exercise performance. We know that creatine doesn't really have an effect on endurance, so we can kind of scratch that as well. 
And then the one that really boggles my mind, and this was one that when I was growing up, this came out, I want to say early 2000s, 2004, 2005, something like that. That's when we really started pushing or when the industry really started pushing creatine ethyl ester. Creatine ethyl ester, it's claimed that it has faster absorption rate and therefore less water retention. Although there are some studies that do support that like there's a study from 2003 that found that creatine increases muscle protein synthesis due to the fact that it draws fluid into muscles. Therefore, you're actually going to want that water retention. Now, whether or not creatine ethyl ester affects water, I don't think so. But the one of the positive benefits that you're going to want with creatine is you're going to want that water retention in the muscles. Now, I used to have people that would be like, I'm trying to cut, so I'm going to take creatine ethyl ester because I'm going to hold less water. Now, if you're trying to cut, you're talking about subcutaneous water that you don't want, not intramuscular water that that you don't want. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense anyway. Like when I was cutting, the goal was increase glycogen and increase water within the muscle cell and not outside of the cell. Mm -hmm. So if creatine is drawing water into the cell, then that would be technically seen as a positive thing, not a negative thing. You're hydrating your muscle. It's working more efficiently. I mean, creatine in and of itself is like 30% water anyway, creatine monohydrate, right? Yeah. That was the biggest claim that when I was growing up that I saw on creatine and it's, you know, the types of creatine, I said it once and I'll say it again, use what they use predominantly in the research. Companies will try to sell you quote unquote superior forms of creatine with a heftier price tag, but creatine monohydrate is king. It's cheap, it's safe, and it's effective. Yeah. All right. And then Nicole, we get into some of the side effects that you mentioned on creatine, gastrointestinal distress, GI distress. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the biggest complaints. Now, what I will say is, and I'm just going to highlight this, you need to stay hydrated when you're taking creatine, but you also need to stay hydrated when you're not taking creatine. And <laughs> as kind of a caveat to that, I'm just going to talk about the fact that it's not going to be a miracle for you. You need right. to put in the work. You need to follow yeah. a, a solid workout program. You need to be consistent. You need to be consistent with your protein intake, all the things that we talk about on this show. You need yeah. to be hydrated anyway. So chances are from where I look at it now, there are a few outliers where I've had some clients that do stay well hydrated and still have GI distress. And yes. that that also may be the difference between somebody taking 20 grams of creatine to load or, hey, let's just start you off with five. Nicole, like you were saying, yeah, let's just start you off with five because we don't want upset digestive system. Yeah, because that doesn't help either. But that's not really like a major, like it's not like a health risk to you. It's just. No, no, it's just uncomfortable. And a lot of the times I think people get afraid, especially, I mean, I'm talk primarily talking about females. Like women are already nervous enough to take it. So if it starts to upset their stomach or they don't feel well taking it, they're like, this isn't healthy for me. This isn't right. I shouldn't be taking it. So I try and always go and ease into it without any trouble so that there's no additional like stress around it. You know, you feel me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. Listen, to mitigate some of that, obviously make sure you stay hydrated. And our recommendation is always half your body weight in ounces per day. If you're a little bit on the heavier side, more body fat, less muscle, obviously muscle is uh, more fluid or more, uh, more hydrated or requires more hydration than fat tissue. So if you're on the heavier side with a higher body fat percentage, maybe you could do a little bit less than half your body weight in ounces, but in general, Half your body weight announces what we, we recommend. 
for when you're not taking creatine and then even when you are taking creatine. Yeah, you got to live the healthy life. And the creatine is in addition to that, as we talk about with everything. And then some other concerns around uh, liver and kidney function in regards to creatine supplementation. But the research seems to support that creatine is safe for healthy individuals. So I wouldn't really worry about that. I think you're good to go as long as you're healthy, you have healthy functioning kidneys. If you're not sure about that, go to your physician, get checked out. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's shown to be both uh, safe and effective. And then Nicole, we get into creatine in teens and adolescents, which is something that you brought up, which is a common concern for parents. Yeah, I get asked this question. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, I think it's a valid question because they know, the, especially by um, the teen boys that are football and soccer and um, or, or just young, the younger kids that I have coming into the gym that are that want to lift to become stronger for their sport. So they're li- lifting weights, they're, they're lifting heavier weights, and they want to know what they can do to get bigger, to get like big Cito and huge, you know, and it, I think it's it's awesome that they're so interested in their bodies and they want to know how to improve their performance. So I get asked it a lot by the moms who, of course, want to make sure that they're whatever the kids are doing, especially since, look, my mom didn't know I was using creatine when I was dancing. She didn't know anything. So for parents today to be a little bit more involved and want to know what their kids are putting in their body because they're more aware of their health too, that becomes a question that's asked a lot. What I'll start by saying is, Creatine is probably like if your kid for the parents out there listening to this episode, if your kid or teenager, high school athlete, whatever they may be, if they're going to take any supplement, it is creatine is probably going to be like for us growing up, like me and my friends, like creatine was the first supplement that we took. We took it in high school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, listen, we all turned out fine. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but well, well, well I don't know. Maybe we took creatine. I, I think if anything, like kids are going to either try pre-workout or they're going to try uh, creatine. And yeah. you, you know, we have some issues with pre-workout now where kids are like dry scooping, like loads and loads and like eat, eating half the bottle. <laughs> and they're yeah, the up, more isn't better in that one. <laughs> they, they end up in a in a um, they end up in a hospital or something. But I, I mean, I really think that some of those kids might have some pre-existing something going on. Yeah, I don't see this like high prevalence of kids ending up in the hospital even from pre-workout. But, you know, it's. It's the kids with the caffeine stuff. And yeah. Nicole, you and I talked about like kids drinking four locos. It's like alcohol and, <laughs> and uh, caffeine. And it's like, OK, yeah. well, great combination. First of all, you shouldn't I don't condone drinking under the age of 21. Let me just throw that out <laughs> put there. that out there. Yeah. No, listen, kids are cu- they're curious. We I mean, listen, they're, they're curious. They want to know. And a lot of the times it's with they with their friends that they're talking about this. So if you can educate one of the kids in the group, then everyone at least gets the right information. That's what my mom used to say, which I think is is absolutely true. You know, when when moms come to me and ask me this, I always tell them three things. One, and I know you're going to tell me doctors don't know anything about supplements, which they don't. But I always at least say I'll let the doctor know that he's going to be taking it or she so that they're at least aware. Let the parent know that they're taking it, how much what they should be doing, what to look for if there is something that is not right. And then three is to make sure that they're actually lifting and they're doing it for strength training in their sport. And they're not just doing it, I don't know, just for fun or thinking that it's just going to be something that just makes them strong because it's a supplement, you know? So just to make sure that there's some boundaries and discussion, conversation and education behind it. Most of the kids are going to get the information about creatine or any supplement from their group of friends, which can be misinformed. So I do think that parents should be 
educated around the topic. And to your point of doctors, yes, you're right. I do think that when it comes to supplements, most, not all, right? Functional doctors, like people like Dr. J. Tito, we talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. He recommends adaptogens and various different supplements for people because he's well-versed in it. But there are many doctors that aren't versed in supplements. And there's even research to support when you look at dietitians versus the doctors. Basically, dietitians are less likely to fuck up when it comes to supplement recommendations than doctors are. And it's because doctors are primarily versed in medications and pharmaceuticals and not supplements. And to take that even a step further, studies show that dietitians are a lot less likely to fuck up when it comes to nutrient drug interactions, even with the pharmaceutical stuff. Mm-hmm. and supplement or ingredient uh, drug interactions. Yeah. So, you know, it, I think we need like a collaborative effort. And oftentimes yes. I see that doctors just dismiss it and they're like, absolutely not. And I'm like, right. well, your doctor doesn't know anything about this. And this is what it what it's frustrating for me, because if yeah. I recommend a supplement to a client and a doctor doesn't know anything about that supplement, then where where am I? Like, what am I doing here? I don't know, like, how do I take the next step forward? Well, I think the other piece to that is if you just dismiss it, this is how this is what I say to parents. If you just say, no, you can't do that. And then they go behind your back and do it anyway, which that's what I did when I was a kid. Then they're not educated around it and they don't understand it. At least if you say no or you don't think it's a good idea, you still have to go through the steps to educate the kid as to what it does, why it does it, just so that they're at least a little bit more aware of what they're putting in their body. My mom told me cigarettes were bad. She smoked cigarettes her whole life. I smoke cigarettes anyway. Like you, you, but at least I knew what was going on. Like you have to at least be responsible in the education piece. And then, you know, I let the parents make the decision because it's their kids. Yeah. I mean, I'll say I just did whatever I wanted as a kid. I was rebellious as fuck, but yeah, you and me both. I, I mean, I, I didn't discuss anything with my parents. So if I, but if I had, like I, I have this conversation with my parents all the time. Now, if I had, that would have been a lot better, <laughs> probably a lot better in, in the moment. Yeah. too. I, well, you know what? No. My parents, my parents also weren't versed in it. And I was reading well, this stuff when I was, I started reading this stuff when I was a teenager and doing the yeah. research myself. That's right? my point. I, I grew up in a time where we had access to internet and my parents, when I was growing up, they didn't even know how to use the internet. So <laughs> now, what I will say is like when I was growing up, the first supplement that I took was cell mass. And then I took cell tech and cell tech mm-hmm. was uh, uh, muscle tech. It was like, and you know, this is the thing with supplements too. And, and adolescents. Well, wait, so for people that don't know what that is. So cell tech was a product made by muscle tech and it was like 75 grams of sugar and various different types of creatine and alpha lipoic acid. And the thing had like a hundred ingredients in it. And this was the, a common thing that companies did back then. So back then when I was coming up, so and this is kind of frowned upon in the industry today, companies had proprietary blends and you didn't know how much of each ingredient was in the supplement. And it was like a list of between 20 and hundred ingredients. And the only thing that you knew about the quantity of each ingredient is that the first ingredient was the most, the last ingredient on the label was the least, just like any uh, food label that you see or any mm-hmm. supplement facts panel that you see. Um, they're all listed in kind of order of uh, what is the highest gram value, right? Yeah. And they mixed a bunch of stuff and it was disgusting, 75 grams of sugar. And I understand where that kind of came from because, you know, with my knowledge today of how insulin works, insulin is a driver of uh, not just carbohydrates into your muscle, but also amino acids. So, you know, it, it is helpful to have some kind of an insulin response to drive these amino acids into your muscles. But 75 grams is an insane amount. 
muscle tech was also the company they're still around muscle tech was also the company that got in trouble with fat burners remember hydroxy cut oh yeah 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 hydroxy cut they had all these ingredients the problem with the industry then was and there's still lots of problems with the supplement industry but the problem then was that they would just throw a bunch of ingredients in and more ingredients was better and we don't we didn't even have and we still don't have on some of these ingredients what they do and how they affect how they the body, how they affect the body by themselves, let yeah. alone how they interact with the other ingredients that you're throwing into this product. So yeah, exactly. that becomes very dangerous. And muscle tech got in trouble because they had issues with uh, liver failure, not with creatine, with hydroxy cut, with the fat burner. Mm-hmm. So there's a major lawsuit, this whole thing, and it's just a giant mess. It's bad. Let me get back to uh, the the teens. I mean, we started taking this stuff. Like if if your teen is considering a supplement, probably the first supplement that they're going to consider taking is going to be creatine. The studies that we have on, on creatine supplementation in youth athletes, they're not around safety and efficacy. They're around what percentage of youth athletes are using this stuff. Yeah. And it's roughly around 30% from the numbers that I've seen. And listen, I don't hear these horror stories or nightmare stories around like if 30% of kids are taking it and there's an issue with it, I think we would hear about it. So my personal stance, and this is just my personal stance. So take it for what it is. My personal stance on creatine is I do think that it is safe for youths and adolescents to use if they're using the right quantities, Mm -hmm. but it's not studied is the issue. And probably for ethical reasons, because you're not going to just take a bunch of teens, throw them in a, in a, in a metabolic ward and say, okay, we're going to feed you creatine for three months. <laughs> yeah. And that's just not going to happen. So because there's a lack of research on teens and adolescents, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American College of Sports Medicine are all in agreement that teenagers should not use performance enhancing supplements, mm-hmm. including creatine. My personal beliefs are Listen, I don't know. I don't really agree with that. I don't have to agree with everything. I think if it's safe and effective for people who are over 18, it's safe and effective for somebody who's 15, 16 or 17. I don't mm-hmm. think that I'd recommend that a uh, 12 year old would take it. But no, I do think that it is. I mean, that's just my personal opinion on it. It is worth noting that the NCAA and other major athletic governing bodies and organizations, they don't ban the substance. So creating NCAA is really like youth athletes onto college, whatever. So it is acceptable in sports uh, where it is researched. The most is creatine supplementation used as a form of medical therapy. So the most common application in the research where it's more heavily studied is, you know, I don't even really think it's studied at all in uh, youth athletes, like healthy. but, but healthy, it's yeah. yeah healthy yeah. youth athletes. But the common application of creatine in clinical pediatric populations involve children born with a form of creatine deficiency syndrome where their body just can't take those amino acids and turn them into creatine. So they need to supplement with creatine daily. Mm -hmm. You know, they have low levels of phosphocreatine, not enough fuel for the muscle and brain. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, And that can cause issues. So it is studied in some kids, but these are kids that aren't producing creatine at all. Right. So that's just kind of my two cents or, you know, take it for what it is on creatine for youth athletes. I mean, listen, like I said, I took it with my friends and we turned out perfectly fine. It's not a steroid. 
Uh, I remember working in a supplement store where a lady came in, somebody sold creatine to her 15 year old son, which is, you know, perfectly legal. She came in and she's like, I can't believe somebody sold this to my son. This is an creatine's an amphetamine. And I'm like, lady, no, it's not. But I'm not going to argue with you because you're an angry mom right now. And, and <laughs> yes, you know, it's a protective like mother, <laughs> the lioness coming in and yelling at me about her cubs. I'm, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to get eaten alive right now. So I'm just going to leave this one alone and give you a refund. Um, I'm not going to fight with you, even though you're obviously blatantly wrong and haven't done any of your research. Then we get into the uh, more recent research that we have on creatine, which is creatine for brain function. Mm-hmm. This is something, Nicole, that I've been kind of diving a little bit more or a lot more into brain function, because one of the questions that I always ask myself is, how do I get my brain to function more optimally? Basically, same mechanism here, right? So we know that creatine is used by the brain. And in times of accelerated ATP turnover, uh, creatine can be useful for facilitating rapid energy uh, to both the brain and the body, right? So in times where you makes sense, you can't separate the two, right? It's the same thing in your brain as it is in your muscle cells, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're using more uh, ATP, you want to turn that over and, you know, turn that ADP back into ATP, like we kind of talked about before. And what we find is that creatine supplementation positively impacts cognitive processing during stressful situations. Uh, there's one study that showed that creatine supplementation improved, improved cognitive ability in sleep deprived when compared with a placebo. So with that being said, if you're sleep deprived and taking creatine, then you're more likely to, you know how like you, you lose a night of sleep and your brain's kind of foggy. It doesn't yeah, really work. Foggy. You know, cognitively, you're not really there. Mm-hmm. Uh, creatine actually enhances that when you are sleep deprived. (laughs) So what I'll say about that, though, is it's not like, hey, I missed a night of sleep. So let me just take a scoop of creatine because you need to build up creatine in your body over the course of, like we said, like 30 days, five grams a day, 30 days to reach full muscle saturation. So is what you want it to be something that you're consistently taking, which speaking of, did we talk about cycling? We didn't talk about cycling of creatine. There was always the thought that creatine should be cycled, but creatine actually should be taken consistently. Yeah. Yeah. And I've taken creatine you know, in places where I've done it in cut phases, I've done it in build Mm -hmm. phases, right? I want to maintain my strength when I'm cutting. I want to increase my strength when I'm building. Let me get back to the the creatine for sleep deprivation. It's something that you want to be taking on an ongoing basis, but it is shown to enhance, like there's a meta-analysis from 2018 that concluded positive changes in short-term memory and intelligence and reasoning with the use of creatine. And I'm going to take it a step further. And this is where we get into the vegans and vegetarians going back to them is they seem to get the greatest benefit uh, shown in memory tasks than meat eaters for obvious reasons, because meat eaters obviously have more creatine stored in their body. So, uh, you know, if you're vegan or vegetarian, you might have a greater benefit than somebody who's an uh, omnivore or carnivore or whatever. Carnivore, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say omnivore. I, I don't know many people that are carnivores now, although carnivore is kind of a trend that, Hey, we're just eating meat and fuck vegetables. <laughs> Yeah. So with the healthy vegan and vegetarian participants that supplemented with creatine, they perform better than a placebo uh, on a series of cognitive challenges, including word recall, uh, repeating numbers backward, which like will will tell you a few numbers and then you have to repeat them backwards, which I can't even do with or without creatine. So just kind of throw that one out the window. Um, (laughs) Pattern You should be taking it. If you're thinking about brain function, you might need this. You listen, I can't repeat. It's like when is that, is there like a, isn't there like a sobriety test where like, Hey, say the ABCs backwards, the ABCs. Yeah, that's not, 
I would. Yeah, I'm like Z. I'd have to seriously think about that. I'm like, I got to write it down and read it backwards. I can't do it any other way. But then also pattern recognition and reaction time has has been kind of sped up or or enhanced uh, when vegans or vegetarians have uh, taken creatine over a placebo. And then there's two sub, uh, creatine supplement trials that show improvements in, uh, and this is with uh, mild traumatic brain injuries in children, that it is shown to, I, I guess, because you're g- generating more energy for recovery for the brain. So there's two creatine supplementation trials that show improvement in cognition, communication, self-care, personality, and behavior, as well as headaches, dizziness, and fatigue in children with mild traumatic brain injuries. So there's definitely some information emerging on this now. I do want to see, I mean, the earliest research that I saw was 2018. There could be some research from earlier. I don't know. It's just, I I didn't see that information, but um, there is definitely some positive impacts on the brain. And Nicole, this is like along the lines of some of the research that I've been doing lately on like nootropics. And, you know, we talked about lion's mane in the past and possibly mm-hmm. increasing uh, neurogenesis or, or, or nerve growth path, nerve growth factor, right? Yeah. Uh, which, you know, we don't know exactly the mechanism behind that because that's newer and the research on that is kind of scarce, but promising, right? We, we mentioned that there was that one study on, uh, uh, it was like Japanese subjects that took it and, and it improved, uh, I, I believe it was dementia. They used a dementia scale. Mm-hmm. You know, this is an interesting uh, field of research to get into. I'd love to kind of see more information as it grows and emerges. Uh, but there definitely is something there in terms of uh, cognitive brain function and creatine supplementation. Uh, dosing protocols for creatine and brain function, they kind of remain unclear. It is newer, I would assume that it would be the same five grams per day because creatine storage to me is creatine storage. So it's, it's not, I don't think it's going to be any different, but that's still, I guess, to be determined in the research. I would probably say the same. And Nicole, anything else that we want to talk about with creatine? Wait, you said that creatine. Oh, I said that if creatine was, if a supplement what was it? If I were to date a supplement, if you were to date be, a supplement, it would, it would be creatine. Be cre- it would be creatine. <laughs> if I were to date a supplement, it would absolutely be like if a supplement was a girl, it would be creatine. That's it's so funny. <laughs> it's the most studied. It's well known. Sexy. Everybody loves it. It works. It gets the job done. <laughs> so if I were to date a supplement, it would absolutely be creatine. And with that being said, I'm going to go <laughs> snuggle with my bottle of creatine and get a good night's sleep. Oh. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 